Welcome to Retro Rewind, Pinal Central's new sports-themed podcast, where we talk to former Pinal County athletes and discuss memorable moments in local sports history. This episode is brought to you by Jones Ford Buick GMC, serving Arizona since 1970. Stop in today at North Pinal Avenue to see their great selection of new and pre-owned vehicles or shop online at Jones Buick GMC Casa Grande. You'll be glad you did. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Retro Rewind. I'm your host, Brian Wright, and I'm joined by my co-host, Maria Vasquez. And our guest today is John Roberts. He is the new football coach at Vista Grande coming over as an assistant from Santa Cruz. And, uh, John, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, no problem. Thank you for having me. Well, let's start a little bit about your most recent stop, which was Santa Cruz. And you uh, were there full-time the last two years uh, as an assistant coach, offensive analyst. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, Dust Devils had a historic year um, mm-hmm. a year ago, winning the state championship. Um just tell us about uh, what what are some of the things uh, that you're going to take away from your time at Santa Cruz. Uh, there's, I mean, there's a lot of key takeaways. Um, one of the main things that I, I think that I'm going to take away from that Santa Cruz experience was how to successfully build a program. Um, I think another good thing that we did is that we garnered a lot of the community support. Um, Santa Cruz had a deep, deep tradition of, of football excellence that probably stemmed between the late 60s, 70s, and 80s. And uh, they were that town was really looking forward to having those days come back. Um, Davis was an excellent coach. He came from Alabama. He played at a really good private school that had similar um, – Similar, I'll say similar foundations that Eloy had, so he kind of knew how to kind of deal with some of the politics that, that go on in that type of situation. And I feel like that was invaluable um, as a head coach because even though Casa Grande has grown bigger um, as a community, we still do have those, you know, you got to know this guy, you got to know that, you got to know that guy as far as uh, making sure that you gain support from the community. And Eloy was a perfect situation for me to go in and learn underneath him to kind of figure out how to navigate those waters because a lot of times as a head coach if you don't have the support of the community um it can make your job really really hard and so to see him kind of navigate those waters and at the end it turned out to work out for the kids benefit um he got the kids to buy in and then once he had got the kids to buy in the community ended up shortly buying in after that and then it was just like a well-oiled machine for like the last two years. Um, of course, we had a really good group of boys there that are still going to be there. There's about 70% of that team that won the state championship that's going to be there. And um, the new coach, I think, is a good hire over there. So hopefully he can continue those things that have been already been established. And uh, you've learned from several different coaches at several mm-hmm. different stops. Um, mm-hmm. You actually were at Vista Grande previously as an assistant coach. Mm-hmm. You were at Chaparral, you were at Marcos Deniza, mm-hmm. um, but just focusing on uh, Davis uh, because I'm sure that you'll you'll kind of have a mix of what you learned from each coach, each head coach you were under, in addition to your own style. Mm-hmm. But what what things uh, specifically that you learned from Richard Davis would would you like to implement at Vista Grande? Um, I think uh, the one of the main differences that you'll see within the next 
you know, two or three years that I'm at Vista, you'll see it progress. I think what you're going to see is that there's going to be a, a violence to the run game. And that's one thing that Davis had that a lot of people, we had a really good back with Hunter Ogle, but they didn't understand that it started off with our offensive front. And our offensive front at Santa Cruz was they were just very, very aggressive and very, very violent. You're going to see that and more of that transition as I get more and more kids to come out for the play football at Vista. Um, there, I think at Marcos, the last two stops that I had, and, you know, Chaparral was more of what you would see um, offensively and defensively, what you would see like in a Division One program, like with the spread offenses and the up-tempo styles and the three-man fronts and the five defensive backs. But I think from me, you know, getting my start at Vista and Stewart um, was the head coach then and uh, Tracy Stewart was the head coach then. The main offenses that he liked to run is more wing team base, which is another very, very violent, you know, and then going into Marcos Denise and Coach Morrow from his Blue Ridge days, he kept a lot of his double wing stuff that he liked to do and we ran that. We just ran a more modernized version of that at Marcos and that was another very violent running style and then culminating with Davis and running the shotgun single wing and he basically, he'll stay in one formation the whole entire game and put you in the phone booth and say, you got to stop my big boys up front. So I think that's going to be a major difference than probably what you've seen the last couple of years at Vista Grandy. You know, it's just, it's a, it's going to be a difference of philosophy. Um, something that I've kind of grown up with as a player, um, playing at Union when it was old Union. I was a quarterback when the, when they first built the school out there. My, that was my graduating class. But playing underneath my uncle and Stump Mitchell and Melvin, we, we've always had good running backs, and it's always been like a run first, throw throw second type situation. Um, so I think that if you culminate my experience there, you, that's going to be the major philosophical difference. Like we're going to run the football, and it's going to be very physical, and my big boys will enjoy it. They're not just going to sit back in a, in a two point stance and pass block all day. They're going to they're going to get down the field and go. So. Okay, now technically you haven't had your official first practice yet. So mm-hmm. how difficult is it to come in and just try to change the culture of this football team? I mean, you mentioned at Santa Cruz there's that tradition, that longstanding history, but Vista Grande is still relatively a new school. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the key thing that when I first got the job, I was you know, I was thinking, okay, what can I do to get it back to the culture that was in 2015 when we went 7-3 and, and we made the playoffs? And a lot of guys, um, a lot of people don't understand that that year we had probably one of the best defensive teams in, in the in our division at that time. It was called Division Three at that time. They didn't have four eight five eight six eight like they do now, and they didn't have the rules where um, where they were basing you off of how you were competing, whether they bump you up or bump you down in division. It was almost purely off of enrollment. So, first thing I did is I went out and I talked to um, the equipment manager who was at our time, he was the defensive line coach at Vista, and he was our strength and conditioning coordinator, Joe Ha. And I asked him to come on, and he ended up uh, saying yes. He had to talk to his wife because she was, they have a daughter that's really good at gymnastics, and, you know, they travel the country with her, and they knew that it was going to be a little bit of time, you know, if he decided to coach football again. So he, I got him on. And then second is I got the D coordinator and assistant D coordinator, Jeremy Johnson and Angel Ortega from that 2015 staff with Stewart, and they came on. And then we lucked up and we got a really great addition because one of the things I wanted to do to help change the culture is I wanted to have guys 
around from that 2015 team and guys that have left Vista and played at the next level have been successful. So we have our defensive back coach, that is Coach Halter. He actually played and he was all-conference um, defensive back um, during that 2015 team. And then we had an additional strength and conditioning D-line coach with Samuel Reeves from Truman. And so Sam coming now, that just gave kids like they could put um, they could put a face with the banners because he's up in the gym over at Vista Grand. They could put that up there. And so we've seen a really it's been gradual, but the kids have now started to buy in because now they can just we have people around them that were there when Vista had some success. And then I've had my uh, my cousin um, Daniel Robbins. He's actually. Um, he actually hooked me up with um, Levi Dernil, who was a quarterback during the uh, Coach Hernandez era when Vista first started to come. And he was a successful player. He hooked me up with Levi, and Levi is now coaching with us as well. So the kids have been, they've been surrounded by guys that have been there when Vista was winning and was on the other end of the whole union Vista spectrum. So it's been, it's been a journey, and it's been tough, but... Where we started off, I think I, before we turned on the mics, I was saying that when we started off with 13 kids, and now we're averaging between 45 and 50, um, the parent, the parental support um, has been tremendous. Like, it's not, it has not been a situation where it's been hard to get parental support. Like, they, they're ready to support the boys in whatever manner that we would, we would need them in. Um, We've had a couple seven-on-seven um, scrimmage games at the school already, and we're already averaging between 100 and between 100 and 110 parents in the stands, watching the kids, cheering on the kids. So I think it's 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 changing, and I I feel grateful to be in this situation because everybody's hungry for the challenge. And so a lot of times you get you know you get put in situations. I've been a part of a couple staffs that had to turn around things and you got people that want to be stuck in, well, this is how we used to do it. Everybody now is just like, whatever we need to do to get it done, let's get it done. So, so I'm curious about your time with Paul Morrow because, you know, Paul Morrow, uh, kind of a legendary figure in high school uh, fo- football history, certainly in, in this state where he's the all-time uh, wins leader. And, uh, also, people might not remember that he did spend uh, a couple years late in his career as the head coach at Post and Butte, yeah. right here in uh, Pinal County. But what was your experience like uh, working with him? And, uh, you know, what's maybe some things about Paul Morrow that uh, maybe people don't know? Because in my experience with him, he, he was very kind of a private person and, you know, was pretty, just kind of very, very focused on the task at hand. Yes. Um He's the GOAT. And so a lot of, a lot of people that, you know, they're used to seeing in, you know, the like the Chandler High Schools and the Sosto Saguaros, like when you mentioned Arizona High School Football, that's the first two schools that normally pop up. You get a little bit of like Gilbert Highland and Hamilton and some Chaparral sprinkled in there. But when it comes to like all-time victories, like Paul Morrow's the GOAT. What made him so special is that I believe is that he did it at a time where you don't have so much of the uh, trying to, um, how can I say, trying to stack the deck through club football teams and new football teams, feeding into schools. He did it where he had to build his program based upon what his, um, at the time he was living in Sholo, based upon what the talent could provide him. So he had what he had, and he figured out a way with the win with the boys and win consistently. I mean, to win 13 state titles 
And a lot of those championships, he had to play against really, really athletic teams at Coolidge at the time uh, with Coach Hernandez and Coach Kashner. And then, and then even earlier than that, you had schools like Arizona Boys Ranch who had kids coming from all across the nation to come in. And he had to face those types of teams to still win championships. To learn from that type of guy is immense. Um, and it's a lot of the things that he showed me about, you know, point of attack and and realizing that it's you're as a head coach, you're not only in charge of wins and losses, you're in charge of giving these kids an experience that they're gonna keep for the rest of their life. And you want these guys to be able to come back during their homecomings and come back and want to coach and you want to get the stories of, you know, their their firefighters in your town or police officers or they're they're doing things, you know, they're having families and you're you're just almost in charge of raising some of these young men into men. Um, I learned a lot of that from him. Um, I also learned um, just how to really break down film in a in a very analytical manner without all the technology. Um, how to basically know what's really worth doing as far as like I gotta explain it. Like, Coach wasn't really big on pregame speeches, and he really wasn't big on half halftime speeches. I, I remember the first game I coached with him. Um, all the coaches are up there and they're on the grease board and like we need to do this 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 and this and we got to do this 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 I'm like okay so where's coach Moore and I look and he's outside he's sitting on a bench and he's doing all the adjustments on a legal pad and then he walks in and says we're doing this and we're like okay and we do it and we win and a lot of that I think comes from all the experience that he's had from all the games that he's coached he's just kind of figured it out like what works and what doesn't work and so for me I'm a big emotional guy I like to have the raw raw side of football and he's well the first thing he's like you only get that for 30 seconds after the game starts you know it's those things aren't going to really be effective it's going to be how you've trained the kids and I learned a lot about the value of practice time how to efficiently do that and even with my coaches now because a lot of them came from different staffs and they use a lot of the more modern techniques they get frustrated with me because I'm like that's not going to work and they're like, why? Because I've seen it not work. And I was you before you were you. I was you, and I was telling them, hey, we need to use this huddle technology. We're getting all these different things. And I was taught by a guy who basically was like, hey, I like huddle because I don't have to splice film. But if you know how to do it the old school way, it's almost like, how can I say it? Like, coach knew how to make everything. Like, if he was a chef, he knew how to make everything from scratch. And we're now in a day and age where we're so relied upon technology that we forgot those things. And so... He taught me a lot of those things. Also, I learned a lot about the value of networking, um, how to do things the right way from jump, because as a coach, your name just follows you everywhere. So, you know, there's a lot of things that he had introduced me to, the coaches. Like, he got me in with um, Glacier Clinics. So I work every year. I work with Glacier Clinics, and we um, work on the staff that runs the Las Vegas and the L.A. Glacier Clinic, which are the two biggest on the West Coast. And so... I didn't understand why he was doing those types of things, and he never got paid from Glacier to do it. I, I don't get paid from Glacier to do it. Um, but the, the, one of the reasons why he was doing it is because we're there and we're helping these coaches, you know, um, do their seminars, everything like that. And so now you have it in for the Georgia Tech offensive coordinator, or you have it in for University of Florida's D coordinator. And these guys know you. So now when they when you need information, they're sending you the playbook. So they're sending you this, they're sending you that. So those are the things that I've garnered. I mean, we used a couple of 
of Oregon's things. It helped us out. Just this past year with Coach Davis, um, there was a game where we were in the semifinal game. We ran a formation all year long. We called it a crazy formation. We needed a two-point conversion against St. John's in the, in the semifinal. Well, that was one of the things that um, I had presented to Davis that I learned from Coach uh, Morrow that you have, you segment your offensive and defensive systems throughout the season. So we might be running a certain style of offense, and we have certain plays, certain packages that we're going to install if we make the playoffs because coaches keep things for years on you. And so they'll know in this situation, on this down, he likes to do this. Well, what if you don't? You have a different formation or you have a different package of plays in the playoffs and they've never seen that before, that might give you 7 to 14 points. He just really thought like that. So to be able to work with him under those types of circumstances, I find that it was life-changing. It really, really was. It's, it's given me a, um, basically my approach to how I approach coaching. Okay, now can we talk a little bit about your playing days? Uh, you mentioned you played football at Union. Um, what was that like back then for you? Uh, yeah, I think I think um, I don't want my uncle to be uh, mad at me, but it was it was an experience. I think it was tough, but it was rewarding because there was a there was a. I, I come from the Robbins family. My mom is a Robbins. Um, her little brother is Randy Robbins, who's athletic director at Union. And our family is known for producing good football players. And so when you know that, and growing up, there was a certain, I'm not going to say stigma, but a certain expectation. So, and it'd be no different than when the Trailheads lived in town here, and they had Russell and Steve, and they had Kyle, and they had Casey and Mark, and those different types of guys. Uh, it was, how can I say it? Like it, it was defining because I, I played a position, I played quarterback. And so... I remember um, playing after my eighth grade year. We ended up going, I think it was a three and three or four and three. And then Stump Mitchell was the head coach and, and the assistant head was Melvin Spears. So I got introduced to how college coaches like to run their programs very, very early. And so I'm thinking I'm going to have my eighth grade summer to myself. And no, uh, it's like, no, you got to get up every morning at 6.30. You got to go to old, old Cougar Stadium. You got to hit the track. Well, after that, we're going to hit the weights. And there was a couple times, I think, growing up, I didn't know if I um, was going to even do football. But then I get a call from my Uncle Randy, and he was like, no, boy, you ain't going to quit. He's like, I'm no stop. I know, Mel, you ain't going to do that. You ain't going to do the family like that. <laughs> like, like, And so I ended up sticking it through, and it was rewarding. Um, Stump ended up leaving my sophomore year to go to Morgan State. Um, and Melvin ended up going with his cousin, um, Doug Williams, over to Grambling. And so uh, I played one year on the JV after that, my sophomore year, under um, Coach Purdom. And then Coach Purdom ended up retiring. And, um, and then my Uncle Randy became my head coach my junior year. And that was intense because there was always the, uh, how can I say it, like there was the practice speeches and there was the, but there was always like two of them. Because it wasn't just me on the team. That was his family. It was T.J. Rackley, who's a math teacher over at the Villa now. He played at University of Nevada. There was uh, Joey Graves, who was an All-State prep star, All-American wide receiver, who played at ASU for a couple years before he he got hurt. And uh, you know, it was a uh, it was just always a um, how could I say it was a uh, it was an experience where there's just a very high expectation. In my first year. Playing underneath my uncle Randy, we had a good quarterback, Jeremy Dremler. Um, he ended up being the starter that whole year. 
And so I didn't know, honestly, my senior year, if I was going to go to college, play football. I just, I knew I was going to go to college. My mom was still to this day, she's really high on the academics. So my grades were good. I just didn't know if I was going to do it. And then my senior year named the starter and we ended up having a good year. We went five and five. And I, in a conference, I believe was probably one of the best that Arizona's had. I'm not saying that because I played it. I'm saying that because there was about five or six NFL guys that played in that conference. Um, two of which are, you know, big time names like Bobby Wade and Terrell Suggs. And we had, it was a five day central at the time. And it was just, that was every game was hard. And so we ended up going five and five that year, missed the playoffs. I ended up having a good season, made all conference, made all AZ informant team at the time. And um, I ended up getting recruited by Coach Faulkner and Coach Rocky Long to New Mexico. And they, they awarded me a scholarship. And so I took that. And uh, that's kind of how it happened. Um, would I trade that experience? for? Yeah, no, I wouldn't. I, I think it was, it's part of the, but what drives me is that I never had it easy. I always had to compete like every single year. And so I think that when I convey that to the kids, especially now, they're buying into it because of the simple fact that, like I tell them, I was, like, I was raised on the east side. And so if I could go from the east side, play college ball, get a scholarship, get a degree, come back to my community, you guys can too. So, you know, don't listen to all the hype about you guys have lost for the last couple of years. Like, if you guys want to make the change, that's fine. Because my junior season at Union, underneath my uncle's his first year, we really won our very first game. We won we beat Nogales, and we lost every game after that. The following year, we missed the playoffs by two plays. So, you know, they can do it if they believe they can do it. You know, we're not in a um, – fortunately, I think we have a really good schedule. Um, we're in a very good conference. I think it's suited for the level of program that we are right now at this time. And uh, we'll just roll the dice and kind of see what happens. Okay, so you mentioned, uh, obviously, you went on to play at New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you have a pretty famous teammate in uh, Brian Urlacher, who uh, goes on to be one of the great linebackers in the history of the NFL. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and, and when he was at New Mexico, he played mostly safety, I believe. Yes, he played, uh, he played what was called a rover. And we ran a defense at the time that was innovative at the time. Now everybody's running it, but it was the three-three-five. And so he played what um, normally people call their, the spur backer or, like, the rover backer. He just played the strong side version of that. And uh, he played rover. And it was crazy because I'd never seen a guy that athletic before. I mean, about 6'4", legit 225, 235, ran a low 4'4s in the 40. Could squat, like, 600, between 600 and 650 when... I was playing there at the time, and I have a story like when I was my very first camp, because they recruited me and another kid out, out of um, California. So at the time, we had six quarterbacks in New Mexico. So us being the two freshmen at the time, we didn't get the um, the off-colored shirt. We got the same shirt color as the rest of the offense. Like we were cherry and silver, so the quarterbacks wore red jerseys. Everybody in the offense wore black, well, they gave us black jerseys. So that means that when we were in, 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 in the scrimmage situation, it was uh, the green light to hit us because they had six quarterbacks. We were nowhere near going to be the starters. We were red shirt. So I'll never forget it. We ended up uh, we were running a veer option play. I had never ran veer option in my life. We were under at Union with Michael Randy and Coach Patina, and now it's Judge White. He was, they were offensive coordinators. We ran a power eye top, top system. So I read the fullback like they taught me, 
and I run, and instead of running towards the sideline at an angle, I cut directly up the field. When I cut directly up the field, uh, Erlacher met me with his helmet in my chin and put me out. And so the, right then and there, I was like, oh, man, this is a whole other monster. I was used to using my athleticism and kind of outrunning guys and everything like that. Well, everybody was athletic at, at that time. So that was my welcome to football moment was him hitting me, you know. And at the time, I was young, and so I kind of, my pride was a little hurt. And uh, I remember we get out the showers, and he comes up to me. He was like, hey, Rook, hey, you going to meet me at the cab? And I was like, fine. And he gave me a whole speech, like, don't do that, man, at this level. You know, uh, you know, the other quarterback they had signed was a multi, he was a multi-positional athlete, so they didn't know if they were going to keep him at quarterback. And so everybody was thinking that I was going to be the guy there. So he was like, man, if you get into games, you know, this season – in some mop-up duty, he was like, just remember, man, go to the sideline or cut up and slide. He's like, guys are hunting for you. So, you know, Brian to this day, I mean, he's been immense. I mean, his athleticism, I mean, the genes are strong. I mean, he has a son right now that's at Castile that's doing exceptionally well. I know that you know, he was at Castile. Now he's at Chandler, but he, he, he's going to do exceptionally well, and he's a good guy. I mean, he's gotten a little bit political, you know, during the last year, but – you know, if everybody, anybody knows Brian, they just know that he's always been a staunch conservative, but he'll give you the shirt off his back. You know what I mean? So I, I love him to death to this day. He's a great guy. And then you also went to Norfolk State, <clears throat> yeah, is, which is where you finished your college career. <clears throat> so um, what was the experience like there, and how, how was that different from your experience in New Mexico? Uh, I think, uh, well, it was culturally, it was a a whole 180 experience because you're talking about a mixed university um, in compared to a historically black college. And so, what, what, you know, we were just at New Mexico. We just entered the Mountain West, which is a brand new conference, brand new traditions, brand new everything like that. And then I go to new, I go to Norfolk State, and it's a historically black college. We played in the MIAC conference, which is like the – which it just disbanded this year. became the Big South. But every game – that I played in there, there's 30 to 40,000 African Americans. You got smoked turkey legs, you got soul food on the sidelines, you have the bands, you had it's just a big, huge gala. And uh, it, was a, it was a good playing experience. Uh, we weren't very good at the time, you know what I mean? I think Norfolk State now, they're, they're a lot more competitive, you know, but at the time I was recruited there and I was a player as trying to help create the turnaround, help create a new culture there. So uh, I think um, playing-wise, I enjoyed my time there. I got to play a lot, you know, immensely. And, uh, you know, I take that experience. It also helps me with players to know that, guess what, like, you as a player uh, can be part of the turnaround. You just have to work exceptionally hard. One thing I will give HBCUs and the players that are there, they don't have the same amount of facilities and equipment and everything like that, but they utilize everything they do got. So the guys that I did play with that did get a chance to play at the next level, a lot of them had very long careers because they're going to an NFL facility and they actually have three working ice baths and they actually have an electrical, you know, muscle stimulation machine. And so they utilized all that stuff and they ended up having long careers. A lot of them now are back in Virginia and North Carolina in Florida and they're actually coaching high school and college football to this day. Love the guys I played with. So. 
All right, now, now going back a little bit, um, how did you first get involved with football? I mean, I understand that your uncle is Randy Robinson and everything, but how did you decide on football? I also know that your dad was quite the track athlete back yeah. in his day. Um, Pop, uh, well, when I was little, um, I wanted to play football. My mom was like, no, because she had saw her brothers have injuries and everything like that. She was like, every most mothers they, they're real leery about playing the whole Pop Warner and so she had made a pact with my dad that because um, I also liked soccer at the time too my mom was like well let him play soccer and if he continues to like soccer we're going to keep him in soccer but she says um, if he gets injured in soccer then I'll let you try him play football I don't know if she hexed me or anything like that because I was playing at the youth league at the time they had a youth league that played games at Saguaro Elementary and uh, I ended up the second game of the season I ended up breaking my wrist in like three different places I tripped over the ball um, and I fell on my wrist and I ended up breaking my wrist and so they were going to let me play but with a soft cast but I guess from what my dad said I was playing a little bit too rough with that so I, they didn't let me finish the season they just said you know John has to heal up and come back next year well my dad used that to his advantage and I ended up playing for Cassie Grand Pop Warner after that and he was helping the coach and so the bug just kind of bit. And then, you know, uh, I had my other cousin, TJ, who had played in that organization, my other cousin, Joey. And so my dad was driving us to games all the time. And I just think, you know, growing up, hearing all the stories, and then, you know, every Sunday, the whole family's over at my grandpa's house. We're watching my uncle play and for Denver. It was um, one of those things where it was like, my grandmother used to use that to her advantage that we really couldn't be picky eaters. So, like, she'd make vegetables or something that we didn't really like. She'd be like, you want to be like your uncle, right? So, like, we just had that immersed in us. And I just think there was no way I could escape it. I mean, there's pictures of me on my uncle's knee up in Denver as a baby. And they got pictures of John Elway holding me. Um, you know, my god uncle, um, Ricky Hundley, is now a D-line coach over at U of A. They were roommates in college, like... I've just been surrounded by it. So it's just, you know, there's a saying that we say in the Robbins family, there's, we do football, barbecue, and uh, teaching. That's what we do. And so that's just, you know, I just think it's, it's the family business. And so when I took the job, you know, there was rumblings around town a little bit that, you know, um, that the Robbins were trying to take over football here in town. That's just not the case. I just think, you know, um, I couldn't escape it if I wanted to. I mean, my favorite sport growing up playing actually was baseball. I loved playing baseball, but just football just kept pulling me. I mean, everything I have, um, if you look at, you know, from the house I just bought to the car that I currently drive to the connections that I have professionally, it's all revolved around the game. The game has given me everything that I've put into it in life. It's given me back more than so. So, yeah, that's really how I got into it. You know, having a, a, a father like mine, it's, um, I always tell people because my dad was just really heavy into the community, into the youth. He was really heavy into making sure that me and my cousins and our, and our close friends were successful and they had all the opportunities. And he just never really fell into the whole, you know, well, the kids are from Phoenix or, the, you know, they're better than the kids from Casa Grande. He always threw us in tournaments and always had to compete, compete against the kids at the highest levels. And, 
nowadays you see that now in youth football and in the club scene. Like, there's a ton of parents like that now. They're, they have their kids. They're driving everywhere. They're having these independent seven-on-sevens and these different club, different types of things. Those things are positive. But my dad was doing that before anybody else was doing it. And so I think when he was doing that, people weren't used to having parents that were so heavily involved in the success of the kids. And so, um, you know, he's not, my dad is like me, well, I'm like him, we're both kind of talkers, but um, he never really told anybody about his athletic prowess until he was challenged on it. And I remember the day he was challenged on it because at the time we are playing, you know, we were coaching football and my dad was like, what did they have you doing, John? And he was having me, they're teaching me how to tackle a certain kind of way from what my dad was saying. It just wasn't going to be conducive to the health of the son. So he goes down after the game and he's like, I like to help you guys coach. And then when they asked him, like, well, what have you done? My dad said, well, I ran track. You know, I was all-state California track athlete. Um, I was all-American at junior college at Hardin Junior College for running track. And then I played football at Sonoma State. And then I played some semi-pro in California as well. And he did it all as an extremely undersized athlete. Um, I get my height and my size from my parents and from my mother's side of the family. Everybody on my dad's side of the family is extremely small and short. And so he did all of that underside. So you know my father well, he carries a little bit of a chip comes to that, you know what I mean? But um, it was immense and it was, it was I, I, I think of every day. And so a lot of people, when I got the job, they were, you know, understand what well, dad going to be around all the time. I was like, how can I tell him not to? And I know that the benefit that he's going to give these kids at Vista Grandy, like, they're going to have sponsorships. They're going to have people in the community that are going to invest. They're going to have something to eat after the football games. They're going to just, like, the, those are things that my dad goes up to and talks to people that, and people will say, okay, yeah, I'll give. And so, you know, I think it gives him purpose. I know this year, you know, a lot of people, they don't, they don't understand, but we, you know, at Elo, they only had seven kids that ran track, but one of them was an extremely, exceptionally gifted athlete in Dylan Hugo, and nobody was interested in coaching track, and so my dad was like, you know what, I'll do it. He's like, I'm, I'm old, and I'm tired, but I'll do it because Dylan needs that, and these kids need that, and we ended up, Dylan ended up getting a scholarship because of that over at Park University. He's going to be running track, so I just think as, that I know that, um, in this town, there's always going to be a uh, tie with me and him, but I think that the benefits um, will outweigh some of the negatives that people might perceive. Because I, my dad is not—he's not telling me to. Um, I gotta say, he's not telling me what offensive calls or what defensive calls to call. He just might walk up to me and be like, "Hey, you know that boy ain't played yet." I'm like, "All right, Dad, I'll, I'll get him in." You know, it's that type of situation or something like that. Well. You know, those types of things, I've learned how to, you know, kind of filter and be like, that's just pop talking, you know. So, you know, it's been good. Um, yeah. Well, um, we are pretty much out of time for this episode, so that's okay. that's going to wrap things up. But uh, I want to thank our guest, uh, John Roberts, for uh, joining us today. And, uh, John, I, I, again, thanks for uh, talking with us. No, anytime. Anytime you guys do something, let me know. We're definitely here, and uh, I'll be looking forward to everybody coming out and supporting the boys this year. Where, you know, it's going to be a different product out there that's, that's normal, but come out and support these boys, and uh, I think you guys will be satisfied with what you see out there. Um. 
This episode is brought to you by Jones Ford Buick GMC, serving Arizona since 1970. Stop in today at North Pinal Avenue to see their great selection of new and pre-owned vehicles or shop online at Jones Buick GMC Casa Grande. You'll be glad you did. There you go. Thanks for listening to Pinal Central's Retro Rewind Podcast. Remember to go to PinalCentral.com and our Facebook page to access future podcasts. We are also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite streaming services. We will catch you next time.